I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Do you have to be boring to be good at managing money? Many young people think so, according to new research by the Money Advice Service. So what can we do to convince them otherwise? Bobby Seagull, the University Challenge semi-finalist, joins me to reveal his unconventional methods for getting teenagers to love maths, including rap music. And the hidden perils of shared ownership, why being single could prevent you from getting on the first rung of the property ladder. Welcome to The Money Show, the FT's weekly podcast about personal finance and investing. I'm Claire Barrett, the FT Money Editor. All through the eyes of a young person, perhaps I should describe myself as the most boring one they could ever meet. I like to think that I'm quite good at managing money, but many 16 to 25-year-olds would mark me down as a dullard for being so sensible. Now, the Money Advice Service has been researching young people's attitudes towards money and how we can make the subject more appealing and accessible to them. Joining me to discuss in the FT studio are Deborah Mattinson and Charlotte Molson from Britain Thinks, the research and strategy group. Welcome both. Hello. So starting with you, Deborah, Britain Thinks partnered with the Money Advice Service on this project. Mm. You surveyed hundreds of young people, got them to open up about their money worries and also ran two workshops, one in London, one in Manchester, where they shared their full and frank opinions. So why do they think being good with money is boring? Well, you know, do they think it's actually boring or is it something that they don't choose to do? It's, It's kind of a bit of both. They feel quite anxious about it, actually. In fact, the truth is they feel quite anxious about everything. And I think the key to the money management is is in that. They feel that they are not going to be able to afford the things that they ultimately want to afford and expect to afford, like, like a house. Therefore, there's no reason to make a boring choice, because actually, why not go to the festival if you're never going to be able to afford your house anyway? I see. So, Charlotte, turning to you now, one of the big eye-openers for me was that in Mastering Money... Young people all thought that willpower was much more important than financial know-how. Absolutely. There was a real sense among young adults that we spoke to that they, they don't trust themselves with their money. They feel that if they have access to it, then they will inevitably spend it. So many tried to put barriers between themselves and their money to minimise the risk of that. So we heard from a few who would send money to their nan straight after payday or hand it over to an aunt, um, sometimes in cash, so that they wouldn't have access to it themselves. Some with more sophisticated techniques that open savings accounts with notice periods to, to reduce that risk of spending as well. And they also thought that willpower was really important for their savings. So they'd often think about having to sacrifice nights out or sacrifice meals out with friends in order to save for a bigger purchase or a holiday. So it came through really strongly that young people thought they had to have really good willpower to make those trade-offs and those decisions. And I think that the way that they envisage 
the savings, as in mm. this watch costs £100, so that's three nights out that I can't have, is a very interesting thing that, the, you know, frankly, the marketing departments of um, the financial services industry should 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 mm. listen to. Because it's a sum that they are doing. I mean, they, they can easily work that calculation out, so they do. Yeah. Um, and then the choice becomes simple. Now, in your wider research, you've been looking into young people's attitudes about, you know, the economy and Brexit, dare I say, more generally, mm. Deborah. And mm. they do seem to be quite uptight about lots of things. It's not just money. Yeah, I mean, we've just done a piece of, of, of work that we launched um, uh, earlier this week. And what we found was that young people are much more pessimistic about their futures and, and specifically about the short term future, what's going to happen this year in 2018, than older people they feel really worried about their personal finances and they they feel you know that's sort of accelerated by concerns about brexit they're worried about the housing market they're worried about the nhs they're worried about everything actually how can we make them stop worrying is there is there anything that they can feel positive about or anything you think we can do as a result of this research to make them want to engage with their finances but it's partly about confidence and knowledge, isn't it? I mean, they, you know, sort of 22% say they don't feel confident about managing their own finances. 85%, uh, cue Bobby Seagull at some point here, but 85% say they were not taught enough about money management at school. Mm. Eight out of ten. And it That's keeps an awful coming lot. up, this yeah. question. And finally, young people's attitudes toward credit cards were very revealing. So your survey showed they're very scared about getting into debt borne out by the respondents in the workshop. But equally, credit cards were the number one topic that they wanted to learn more about. Mm. It was really interesting. Almost all had some kind of scare story that they'd heard from friends, family or in the media about people getting into a lot of trouble from using credit. And that seemed to create a, a big sense of fear in a lot of young people's minds. But at the same time, they'd also heard about the need to build up a credit rating. It was something that a lot of them had sort of knew about but didn't really understand. So there's a real thirst there among young people to understand how to engage with credit in a, in a safe and practical way. They wanted key information to get them started and learn more about it. Well, we've responded to this thirst for knowledge in FT Money this week alongside the entire report, um, which will be written up in the money section of the FT Weekend paper. There will be a column by Georgie Frost looking into exactly what credit scoring means and how you can engage with the credit market in a safe way in order to boost your score. So you can read that article. It's called Money Tips for Millennials in the money section of the FT Weekend paper this Saturday or online from Friday at ft.com slash money. Coming up on The Money Show, how being single counts against young people trying to get a shared ownership flat. Fingers on buzzers, here's your start of a ten. How can we make teenagers love maths? This is not a question that Bobby Seagull, who captained Emmanuel College Cambridge to the semi-final of University Challenge, was ever asked on the cult BBC show. The PhD student is now working as a maths teacher in a secondary school, and he has some very innovative answers to that question. Welcome Bobby, or should I say... Mr. Seagull, sir. Mr. Seagull will do, but I'll allow you to call me Bobby for this interview. (laughs) Thank you. Well, we're laughing now, but the depressing news is that many students, not just your students, I hasten to add, say that they hate maths. How can you persuade them to love it, Bobby? Yes, it's a it's a national issue. I love maths, you know, things like Pythagoras theorem, trigonometry, e to the i pi plus one equals zero. These things get me almost excited as a winning West Ham goal in the last minute. But... I do appreciate that some students need gentle nudging, perhaps occasionally a a more forceful shove to see the same viewpoint. I had a student recently who came up to me and said, Mr. Seagull, you're a really cool teacher, but your subject is dead to me. And upon further investigation, the word dead 
to a student of 12, 13 means that the subject is does not really interest them or it sucks. <laughs> so I think the reality is, I, again, as a mathematician, I try and encourage students to see the beauty of the subject. And there are more abstract things which are not directly relevant to day-to-day aspects of lives. But I think if you want to try and hook many students, you need to make it as real as possible. And For example, depending on the type of topic, if you're looking at data, I know my kids love listening to music, Spotify. So we look at things like trends of music sales, whether it's Beyonce or One Direction or Little Mix. So I think with kids, you need to make it as relevant as possible to their real lives. And cleverly, you've been tapping into the teenage obsessions of rap music and also trainers to achieve this. Yes. So ask any kid for the following line. Two plus two is four, minus one is three. That's quick math. Most kids will tell you that this is the opening line uh, to Big Shaq, who's a rapper, lines. So I find it powerful how kids can remember these things and, and sort of recite an entire song off the cuff. And yet when it comes to basic math, they struggle, whether it's times tables or working out simple or compound interest. And I think the key thing is you need to find out what are kids into and use that as a connecting point to start teaching the mathematics. And I know, for example, Stormzy, did particularly well in GCSEs. You know, he got six A stars, three A's and five B's. Wow. So as Big Shaq would have said, man's not dumb. <laughs> <laughs> so I think appealing to kids and their interests, and I, I know I've told my kids that I've, I have a dream one day, maybe a very aspirational dream, one day doing a maths rap with Stormzy. And again, I'm sure a sort of rap, kids will remember these things. And it's about trying to find a route in. And I know a lot of kids are quite sport savvy or fashion conscious. And I myself wear a, a, a coat, and I'm not trying to advertise their, their stuff, but from Sports Direct. And I often tell kids, when you go into Sports Direct, you'll see ads that say up to 50% off. But if they see a jacket that's £80 and it's actually only reduced by £30, is that actually up to 50% off? So it's really getting kids to be savvy and trying to look at what things are relevant to them. I love it. But why is it so crucial that we cure not just the maths phobia, but also the money phobia that we talked about in our previous item? Yes, I think math phobia, anxiety and numbers is really linked to people's attitude towards money. Because ultimately money is numbers. Uh, Lots of integers combined together that actually have a serious impact on people's lives. And if students have a negative experience of mathematics at school, I think this can seriously damage their sort of one perspective of numbers. And then this means this can hamper their ability to navigate the adult world because adults need to understand how money works. So as soon as students leave school, whether they go to university, take on debt, or start entering the world of work, they need to negotiate with the language of the world. And one of the language, apart from understanding contracts, things like that, are numbers. And without a very sort of competent understanding of numbers, they're really almost tying their hands behind their backs. And I do some work with a charity called National Numeracy, and they've got this appalling stat that 50% of adults in the workforce have the numeracy skills that we'd expect from an 11-year-old. So half the adults in the UK, in England, 17, 18 million people are going around sort of almost covering their eyes and hoping that they'll get through, you know, that their pay packet covers their monthly rent, monthly bills. And we can't afford a country to have so many people who are sort of afraid of numbers. And one of the things I've done recently with the Open Universities, we've created a course with um, Money Saving Experts, Martin Lewis, on how to manage your money. And obviously it's relevant for young people, but it's relevant for adults as well, because all of us could do with better money management skills. And one thing I would say is that parents play a huge role in their child's attitude towards mathematics numbers and therefore Mm. financial attitude. So 
if a parent ever says to their child at a parent's evening, which I've got one coming up soon, oh, I couldn't do math, so it doesn't matter that little Johnny can't do math, I always tell the parent, no, you mustn't say that. So to parents there, make sure you tell your kids that math is very important and it can help them in their future lives. Well, thanks very much there to Bobby Seagull, maths teacher extraordinaire and FT Money columnist. You can read his column, How to Make Teenagers Love Maths, in the money section of the FT Weekend newspaper this Saturday or online now at ft.com slash money. Thanks very much for joining us, Bobby. Thank you. Shared ownership is one of the only ways that many young people can afford to get on the housing ladder, particularly in big cities like London. In this week's Millennial Money column, FT reporter Kate Beerley relays how not having a partner to share her life with has stymied her plans to make use of the shared ownership model. Welcome, Kate. Hi. So, firstly, for those who aren't familiar with shared ownership, can you give us a quick lesson about how it works? Sure. So the idea is that if you can't afford to buy a home, you might be able to buy part of a home. So you buy a share between 25% and 75% of that value, and then you pay rent on the remaining share. So you end up with a mortgage, and then you're also paying rent. And on top of that, you would pay service charge as well. So the idea being that, you know, if you don't have a large deposit, you might still be able to afford to get on the ladder and over time buy more and more of the property. Okay, I've got that. So how is the financial criteria for who is eligible to buy a shared ownership property changed over the years? Well, so there is a there is a maximum amount that you can earn in order to apply. So the threshold on maximum household income per application, it used to be 60,000 um, outside of London. That's now 80,000 and inside London. London, it's 90,000. Okay, so it's quite a lot of money. If you had a partner, then as a household, you might find it easier to hit those numbers. But why else is your relationship status of interest to the housing associations running these schemes? Well, well, that's because the way of the way that the allocation system works. So in the past, this was kind of designed as a scheme for key workers, so like nurses or doctors or etc., to live near where they worked. Now those criteria have really been relaxed, but housing associations um, and local authorities still allocate on this point system, and there's quite a big disparity in the way that those housing associations, local authorities, do it. So, for example, you're more likely to be selected if you are already on the housing association waiting list or if you have a family, often if you earn lower down in that income bracket, but also if you're in a couple. So it's a bit of a catch-22, really, for some individuals who are earning too much to really be in need, but not quite enough to afford a lot of these shared ownership homes, but also kind of getting pipped to the post by those couples who could afford more of the properties and, in many cases, earn more points. So left me feeling a bit like the Bridget Jones of affordable housing. Well, yes, I mean, as, you, as you say in your column, you know, you're in a no-man's land because you're not in a highly paid profession, although journalism, as I'm sure many of our listeners would agree, is a noble profession. But we, we don't earn megabucks, but we do earn fairly nice salaries. So we, we don't, we're, we're not poor enough to kind of access the really affordable housing, but equally we're not rich enough to meet these new targets, particularly if we're single. Yeah, it's kind of an issue of falling through the cracks and and it's quite difficult to find out exactly how this allocation system works because it does differ depending on, you know, on what council you live in and the housing association you're applying to. 
Well, a fascinating, if depressing, piece. But thanks very much there to the FT's Kate Bailey. You can read her latest millennial money column now online at ft.com slash money. And as she says, maybe it's time to brush up the online dating profile. Let me know if we have any requests. That's it from the FT Money Show this week. To get in touch with our team of writers or to ask one of our experts to look into a financial dilemma, you can email us our address, money at ft.com. You can also tweet us at FT Money. And don't forget, you can read all of the articles I've mentioned and more on our website, ft.com slash money. We'll be back next Thursday at the usual time. Goodbye. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.